The Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Located right on Main Street in Blacksburg, Virginia, Main Street Pharmacy is proudly owned by a Hokie family and has been a partner of this podcast since 2020. MSP offers free delivery, curbside pickup, and vaccinations as well. If you are a student or resident in the Blacksburg area, you can always trust that at Main Street Pharmacy, you are not just a number, you are a neighbor. It is Tuesday, February 20th, 7.15. Kelly G is in the building. She's done with Mama Duty. I, well, she's, not, she's never done with Mama Duty, but the, the, the responsibility train has, has stopped for a moment, and uh, we do get to hang out. Kelly Gramlich, voice of women's basketball, an icon in women's basketball, ACC Network, ESPN. She's all over. She does a great job. Kelly, how are you doing? Well, uh, high praise. Thank you, Billy. Um, I'm doing great. There is kind of a nice sigh of relief when you put the baby to bed and he's actually asleep, which I'm assuming he is. My husband has the monitor, but there is like a, huh, okay, we're good to go. So now I can just chat, chat some hoops here. So before we get into the hoops, as always, Pete McGee submitted his Hokey Haiku last time and he brought in a Hokey Haiku today. Okay. So the Haiku is without a degree our favorite non-hokey, a master's maybe. So it's not too late, Kelly. I don't know if you've been considering anything, but we do have some incredible programs down here in Blacksburg. Yeah. If you ever have any interest, it'd be, it'd be instead of being orange and purple, it'd be orange and maroon. It's a pretty easy shift. Um, so, um, but yeah, Pete McGee, great haiku. Well done. That's, that's lovely. Um, I, I will, just before we even get started, Billy, like Virginia Tech fans, I love Virginia Tech fans. I love going to Virginia Tech. Uh, I really love the campus. It reminds me of Clemson. Like, I think there's a lot of similarities. And I just really appreciate how Virginia Tech fans have embraced me and, you know, respond to tweets and hopefully watch not just the Hokie games I'm doing, but maybe our show on ACC Network, things like that. So it's a great fan base. And I really do appreciate them. So that was that was nice. I do already have a master's. I don't – and I, I don't want to get – Doctor? It. Dr. Gramlich? I don't I'm know. Good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first of all, I want to just start off with this league. Um, you know, let's start with last Thursday. You're at the Duke game in Castle Coliseum, sold out crowd. Uh, as you alluded to, we know you love Virginia Tech. But game aside, can you just talk about that environment? How do you sit down and call a basketball game? The women's game, the growth of the women's game, we talked about this after the Iowa game. It's been so tremendous to watch. But it's not just those iconic, amazing games in NBA venues like the ACC, especially like just talk me through some of these environments that you've been able to attend down the stretch. The crowds that we've been getting in the ACC specifically, that's what I can speak to, because that, those are the games I cover. I mean, obviously, we know what Caitlin Clark's doing in the Midwest. It's unbelievable what she's doing. But in the ACC, we've had really good crowds this year. And it almost feels to me that. Post-COVID, I know we're we're good bit post-COVID, but maybe two seasons after COVID into now, the crowds have been a little different because I called games and I did radio for Clemson before that. So I've been in these arenas like before COVID and Notre Dame and Louisville were always great. Beyond that, you really weren't sure what you were going to get. And now I feel like you have these other schools really delivering with the crowds and the atmosphere and putting, investing more in the atmosphere, investing more in marketing, promotions, whatever. And it's paying off. Virginia Tech, obviously, incredible crowd. I played in that arena when there were maybe a hundred and, I don't know, 200 people there. Like you put some was, of the pictures out. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was something else. It was so different to what it is now. And of course, shout out to Kenny Brooks and the program, what they built, but also Toki Nation embracing it. Um, but, and I know you might not love this, uh, Billy, but I was at Virginia last weekend. Mm. They had 6,500 people there. Like, yeah. It, it's a wonderful crowd that we saw at Virginia. I've called games in Carmichael at North Carolina where the crowds have been absolutely excellent. NC State, Virginia Tech was there just two weeks ago. That place was completely packed out. 
I've seen some better crowds at Florida State. I'm still kind of Florida State has been a great program for a long time. Would love to see their crowd increase. But point is, Syracuse, they've been getting a really good crowd this year. It's been awesome to see. And I've seen the growth just since my first year with the network and obviously playing network and then post COVID. It just feels, you know, whatever you want to attribute it to, but it feels like more fan bases, not just the ones that we know love women's basketball, but more fan bases in general are really embracing the sport. And you can see that across the league and across the country. It's it's just awesome. Can you find something to explain? Well, first of all, two things. Number one, you almost led me down a path. Look, I'm not going to say a bad word about Charlottesville. Do I like beating their teams? Yes. Our men's team took them to the whipping post yes, uh, a few days ago. But Charlottesville, awesome time. Great love time. the wine. Love the town. Fantastic place. But I want to ask you, for the women's game as a whole, this is going to sound like me just repeating a, a talking point, but I think it's so true. What do you attest that to? Like, I think we have so many incredibly marketable players in the game right now. On the flip side of that, my dad was ahead of this. He used to watch, uh, you know, the WNBA back in like 2010, 2013. And he was just like, honestly, I love watching the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA, but I also love watching good basketball. And this is the purest good basketball that I can find. But you have married the amazing basketball and the amazing systems and the amazing flair with tremendous athleticism and tremendous shot, shot making. What do you attest the growth of this game in the last five years to not to mention, I don't mean this is probably one of the things that you would say the fact that the, ta the talent is so diversified. We yeah. don't have two teams. Uh, the best example I can give is where wrestling is right now. Penn State and the top three teams in wrestling are so far ahead of every other program. And right now it feels like there are so many programs that can compete and win a national title. Well, you, you said part of where I was going to go is the parody is just different. You know, it's different than back 10, 15 years ago. It was UConn, right? UConn, UConn. And the, the main storyline was, can anybody beat UConn? I mean, that was literally the only storyline post Tennessee, Candace Parker, when you had the early 2000s, you had 13 through what, 16 when UConn won four straight. And then it was just a matter of UConn's in the final four. Can anybody get them? Mississippi State got them and Notre Dame got them, but then didn't win the national title that one year, and et cetera. So I think when you just have one dominant team and that's your only storyline, it gets kind of old, right? It's the same thing every year. And so you're not going to attract new fans or casual fans even with that. And I think we started to see this change. I look back to someone like Asia Wilson, who is from South Carolina, could have gone to UConn, said, no, I'm going to go to South Carolina. I'm going to stay home, build South Carolina into a juggernaut. Of course, Don Staley, a lot to do with that. And now you have a new power and you have something different. Caitlin Clark, I'm not going to go to UConn. I'm going to stay at Iowa. That's something that's really interesting. And that's where you start to build and see some parody. Now you have Juju Watkins, who chose to stay at Southern Cal. So that's a big part of it. I think when you feel like your team actually has a chance, you're more willing to invest and watch. So that's big. And then I think back to, I'm what, 10, oh, let me age myself here. Depending if you're talking about freshmen or seniors, I'm 10 to 12, 15 years older than these kids, right? So when I was their age or when I was in high school, it was 07, 08, 09. And you're watching, and I watched the tournament in Final Four religiously, but you couldn't really just turn on the TV on a Thursday night and find a women's game. Like you really couldn't maybe on a Fox sports South or something. It's so different now. And I think the exposure pairing that plus social media, which is huge because I, this is how nerdy I was. I used to read media guides on the internet just to find out different things about my favorite players. Now you just go to Instagram and you can find out anything you want about women's basketball players. And you can also see, them go viral on social media. Georgia Amor basically went viral during March this past year with how she was playing and that drew casual fans. Or if you're a Virginia Tech fan and you hadn't really gotten into it yet, now you see you see a clip and you're thinking, wow, this looks interesting. So that's part of it. And then frankly, just overall, I think that the level of play has increased. And I think you see that with um, more kids having better coaching, better training, personal trainers, I mean, think of the freshmen this year, Juju Watkins and Hannah Hidalgo, uh, Kamora Johnson over at Virginia, who are doing incredible things as freshmen that 
we really don't see happen, but they're just that much further ahead. And you're seeing more resources go to women's basketball and people are understanding they can market it and people will come. So we're going to actually invest. So there's a lot of different factors. I think you're also, we saw some around COVID, like just women's sports movements where we saw some people realize, hey, maybe we're not covering the game enough and we need to. I think ESPN has invested a lot more in covering the game and so have others. So there's a lot of factors there. Um, I also think, frankly, Caitlin Clark's been a factor. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think mm-hmm. you're more likely to, oh, I turned on the TV and I saw Caitlin Clark. I'm a Virginia Tech fan. Let me watch my women's mm-hmm. team because mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty good. Let me watch them. So I think she's been a factor too. But you put all those things in the mix. And then I would even add this. With college basketball, on the men's side, you used to have players that were there four years. You would know them. You'd get to love them, and you'd watch them grow and all that. The men's game really doesn't have that as much anymore. The one and done maybe is is fizzling out a little bit, but now you have the portal, so much of that. The women's game, of course, has the portal, but there's no one and done. So you can really get to know a player. And that's what fans love, especially college sports fans. They love that investment of, I'm going to get to know Elizabeth Kitley, watch her grow into one of the very best players in the country, and then you're going to get my support, you're going to get my um, my funding, et cetera. So there's a lot of factors there. I think we're seeing a little bit of a perfect storm, and it's just I feel really lucky to be able to cover it right now. But the, the added exposure, just being able to turn a game on, I, I think that's huge for the game. I think one more thing um... – I didn't expect this to be such a long talking point, but it, it brought up one other thing. No, Coach good. Brooks brings up uh, in he, he talked about this after the Boston College game, and he said um, he said essentially if if this is the type of game in the eighth, I'm not asking you to talk about ACC officiating. Uh, he said that essentially you're not going to have young women and young girls that are interested in playing the game if this is how dangerous it they're going to play volleyball, right? That's what he said. They're going to play volleyball. On the flip side of that, I think if you want to look at NIL that makes you feel excited. The fact that these young girls are looking up to athletes like this, and there's also a path to not exercise only your love for basketball, but there's also a path to make a career in basketball at school and make a career post-basketball based upon the brand that you build. I think if you want to talk about NIL success stories, the most feel-good stories I'll come from women's sports and specifically women's basketball. No, you're right for sure. And that is the draw women's basketball, depending on the school, but in general, it is the biggest women's sport, right? Mm. It's the most attended or the one where the most money's invested, et cetera. So you have that pull for kids. Now I get what coach Brooks is saying because I had a lot of great friends at Clemson who are still some of my best friends who played volleyball and there is an appeal, right? You don't take a beating. No one can touch you. No one can foul you. Um, but, and if it's not a Penn State or Nebraska or whatever, you don't really get, they would also talk about how we would get more stuff, right? Like there's, so there's that um, trade-off and of course being on TV and all that. But when it comes to the NIL side of it on the women's side, that part is really cool because I remember thinking this as a player. I remember meeting my freshman class and like the, the, guys that were on the Clemson's team, the freshmen, you know, you all know each other and you're in summer school together, whatever. And I, I, I thought this once, and I think I made a comment to someone, but a lot of those guys, every guy on Clemson's team at that time thought I'm going to go pro. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the NBA. On the women's side, first of all, the WNBA is so small that like you have to be the, the cream of the cream to actually make it. And of course you can play overseas, but I always thought a lot of my teammates and me specifically, we played because we loved it. Like Mm -hmm. we didn't think this was going to be a career. We loved it and we wanted to play. So I think you see some of that too on the women's side. And now you're able to turn it more into a career. And Mm -hmm. that's, what's really exciting. You can, and you can see some life changing things. I remember talking to coach Brooks about Liz and I said, does she still want to be a doctor? And he goes, well, you know, maybe, because I know that was one of her aspirations, but he goes, this NIL stuff has really opened her eyes to the business world and to different things that she can do through basketball. And I just thought that was really cool because it expands your options. It expands what you learn in college, where we all know sometimes you don't learn super practical skills in college, depending on your major. So it's opening up so many things for women's, for female athletes and for women's sports, and especially women's basketball. It, 
it is the sport where you can truly make a name for yourself and sell shirts and sell hats like uh, are the Queens of Castle are doing. Um, let's talk basketball. Let's Time to finally talk about basketball. Um, the game, the Duke game. Tech won 61-56. I have to tip my cap to Coach Lawson yeah. and, and that group. They came out, had a phenomenal game plan, keeping everybody outside of the paint, making everything happen in front of them. Um, but Tech, ultimately, they overcame some uncharacteristic shooting performances. Uh, stepping away from the game, what did you take away from that game? Ultimately, the last game, the Hokies are on a nine-game winning streak right now, but the last game they lost was at Durham, and Duke has given them some trouble. So what did you step away from that game with? Well, my first thought was it was a really gritty, mature win from Virginia Tech because, like you said, didn't shoot the ball as well as they wanted to. It's very rare where Georgia Amor is going to go, what, two for nine from three, you know, when she hit that big one at the end. But I thought it was just a mature win. Like th those are the games you have to gut out in the ACC to preserve your resume, to end up getting a one seed, to continue your momentum, and to win at home, which we know really good teams win at home. I also was just – I thought – I was impressed with Duke. Like, I think Duke is going to be really good in a few years. I think their freshmen are super talented. But especially being courtside, they guard and they play so hard defensively. And they get after it. And they were just relentless. And Virginia Tech was able to weather that and not get frustrated with some missed shots. And then my main takeaway, actually, was that Liz Kitley is, is absurd. Like, she's just ridiculous. And – I try to communicate on air how difficult it is what she's doing. I don't I don't think you can really understand it because she makes it look so easy. That's the problem, but it's not. Like the her fadeaway, how consistently she makes that, how good her footwork is, how she's able to play through contact, her efficiency shooting the ball. Like I was talking to Pam Ward and our producer and I was like, "Guys, give me a name. Give me a five player." that you have seen shoot the ball better in the history of, the, of women's college basketball. Like shoot the ball better from 15 feet, 17 feet, like that range, not layups. You know, you have certain players that could shoot 60% from the field because they shoot layups. But I can't think of a player that shoots the ball, jump, jump shooting. There's no comp. At, a, at the center position than Liz Kelly. I can't, if someone thinks of one, please let me know. But I've never seen anyone better at it. And just her poise and the fact that, the, the, the problem with playing tech for a lot of people is you have to completely create a new game plan for Virginia Tech because you cannot guard Liz Kitley one-on-one. -on -one. Duke tried to, and she went for 34. And then the one time they doubled was the end of the game, and Amor hit the three. So you have to change basically everything you do to try to beat Virginia Tech, and, and that's one of the biggest challenges that they present. Another hat tip, being able to manage the foul trouble that Duke yes. got into in the beginning was, was incredible. Yeah, barely played, really. And they With were able to overcome that. Um, I, I encourage everybody, if you are ever in the building with uh, Kelly Gramlich during a game, and uh, right after Liz makes any one of her fadeaways, uh -huh. I want you to look at Kelly because vocally across the broadcast, you can hear her gushing with uh, essentially, that was such an amazing shot, but it's the it's the uh, body language that I'm you can see. Like yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't hear you, but I knew what you were saying. And um, I, that's I end up in the surrender cobra sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then fast forward in the Louisville game, I know you were in Charlottesville watching DeAsia Fair get buckets. What did she yeah. have 33 points? She played unbelievable. Um, but the Hokies win that game 86 to 70 in a game that they were underdogs. They were one and a half point underdogs. Yeah, I saw that. Notes from that nine straight wins go into a extremely rowdy environment. I was shocked at how loud it was. You were. were 50. Well, it wasn't the fact that they were there. It was, it was the fact that they kept that energy. I mean, if they cut the lead to like 17, you'd think they cut the lead to like two and they were involved the entire game. So hats off to them. But it was great women's basketball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. really good. Mm -hmm. What did you what did you take away from that? Well, it was good to see Georgia shoot it a lot better. And I mean, that's just one of the many things I love about Georgia is her confidence is just never wavers, which is hard. It's it's hard to have that kind of confidence as a shooter when you haven't shot it well the previous game and then you're going on the road. Um, Matilda Eck is so important to this team. So important. The and Swedish Mamba, the, the white Mamba. Mamba. Okay. <laughs> All right, I like that. Uh, she hit some big shots against Louisville. And I think back to the NC State game in January when she hit 
a couple massive threes in the second half that really propelled them to win. And then an underrated, I mean, Liz was Liz. Okay. I, I again, I know Kenny's like, don't, don't over us, don't underappreciate her greatness. And I completely agree. The one of the most underrated pieces for Virginia Tech that I feel like is coming into her own and is going to help this team make a run is Olivia Sumiel. Now, I covered her for many years at Wake Forest, and she was always an incredible rebounder, like one of the best rebounders in the league. But I really like what she's doing for this team. She's, and I, I hope she hears me that I'm not saying, she's not Taylor Soul, and no one is Taylor Soul. But she is filling those shoes better than I thought she was going to. She's rebounding the ball. She can hit a three, which is big, not something necessarily that Taylor did that many times for Virginia Tech. She just adds that added, like crashing the offensive glass, um, that gritty kind of being able to clean things up player that Virginia Tech really needs. And then, of course, when Kayla hits shots as well, that's huge for them. If Kayla King and Matilda Eck, if they and I would I need to find the stats on this. Carter probably has them. But if they each make multiple threes in a game. You're not beating Virginia Tech like that. That's what's really important is Kayla and Matilda making threes you can spread the floor even more shooting it with confidence and shooting it well those two are are huge and then Wenzel maybe you thought you were, did you think I was going to say Carly Wenzel I, I, you actually haven't said the name that I thought you were going to say yet oh but, really yeah Strack my it's perfect because you let it into my next question I feel like you're about to answer it but like you look at all of the players and all of the different things that had to come together this year um you have Matilda Eck who her best quality is knocking down a shot to end a drought, to end a to end a drought or to yeah. end a run. She does yeah. it every single time. Does it now? Uh -huh. She does it every single time. Um, Olivia Sumiel, her ability to—I I always used to call Taylor Soul. She was the murder ball queen. Like yeah. she was just like anytime somebody needed to yuck it up, it's Taylor Soul. Sure. She's going to get it done. But Olivia Sumiel, she stretches the court, takes a little pressure off of Liz, does a great job. Kayla King, awesome defensively. If she gets hot down the stretch from three, like look out. But the parallels of all of these players that you're talking about right now, I think of last year when midway through the season, they were like, okay, we're pretty good. Like, you know, we feel pretty good. And then you saw T-Soul, Deja Gregg, Kayana Trailer, all of these new faces found their role and were enabled in their role through the system. Like how much can you talk about the growth of this team from what you saw in Charlotte, which was an incredibly competitive game against one of the best teams in the country, to who they are now. It's a completely – I mean, Claire Strack fouled out in a minute and a half against LSU and almost looked – and this is a credit to her growth. She almost looked like yeah. a player who's going to be very good but is unplayable this year. And mm -hmm. she's turned into the double big lineup, which I don't even know what you do about that in the, in the ACC, much less when you get into March. I love the double big lineup. I think the double big lineup is – fascinating and I like that Kenny can just kind of use it you know for a couple possessions completely make your head spin and then go back to Sumiel or whatever but I, I love that wrinkle so I also had game one I had their first game against High Point um so very beginning and then Iowa so the growth has been exponential like this team and Kenny was talking about that with us he said look we I I feel like I look pretty stupid scheduling Iowa that early because this team needs to gel now because Georgia Amor and Liz Kitley are gamers they stepped up and it was still a very good game it was really fun to be at and I know you were there Billy it was awesome but he talked about you know we're going to need time to gel and you don't just replace a Taylor soul Kayana Trailer was so big for that team in March last year you don't just replace that Greg and her toughness but you're starting to see them gel and peak and and they lost, you know, lose to LSU. It's a tough loss. Lose a couple of games in the ACC. Okay. But now it, it feels really similar to last year. I just got this, uh, an email from one of our ESPN stats people, Jenny, who actually is uh, low key, the originator of the sunglasses. We can get to that. But um, she sent this out that Virginia Tech hasn't lost in February since February, 2022. Think I can't remember the last time we lost at home. I don't think yeah, we lost well, at home. They've won 23 straight at home. But last February peaked. The only loss since in post-February is the Final Four loss in the last two years. So it just feels like this team is absolutely hitting its stride. Georgia and Liz have been so consistent. They've been themselves. They've actually been better than last year. 
And then you're starting to see Eck and Sumiel and these other players. I love the minutes Wenzel gave them at Louisville. That was really big. It just, it feels like last year in many ways. And yeah, maybe you don't have a Taylor Soul and Keanu trailer, but Liz and Georgia are better. So I think your goals and what you can accomplish are still pretty similar. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about Kenny for a minute. Um, like, I honestly feel like in the national scale, he doesn't get as much attention as personally I think that he deserves. And there are some amazing coaches, uh, woman and man in this league that do such a tremendous job and have been doing it for such a long time. But through your relationship with him, through watching him coach, through watching these teams, like what do you think specifically makes him su such a good coach, um, both from a personality standpoint and an X's and O's standpoint? Yeah, great question. I mean, first of all, I think he may not get as much attention, but I also think he doesn't go asking for it, which is good. Like that's that's the kind of coach players want to play for. It's not about him. It's never about him. And to me, that's such a great leadership quality, which he has. Um, but I think his strength, and I think he would tell you this, is skill development. And that is the lifeblood of any program, unless you're going to just go through the portal every single year and get as many players from there, which nobody wants to do ideally. So what he's done with Liz Kitley, helping build her into one of the best players the ACC has ever seen. And Liz gives him so much credit, which I think is really cool. And then what he's done with George Amor, who he calls his mini me, right? And the, the different levels that Amor has added to her game every year, same with Kitley, the skill development, has is top-notch at Virginia Tech. I'm not sure there's a program out there that does it better than Virginia Tech, just flat out. I It's very rare that you see a head coach do every individual workout with his star players. That doesn't happen at pretty much any program. It's always assistants doing individuals. And the fact that Kenny does that, the fact that Kenny put Liz through a shooting workout before shoot-around against Miami where I was, when I was there, I've never seen that before. Some head coaches don't even go to shoot arounds. Like I've never seen that before. So that's different. And I like that Kenny does that differently and believes in that. And obviously it's had great success. Um, beyond that, beyond recruiting and skill development, I really like his demeanor. And I think as a player, I would have really liked that. Like I know he gets fired up and I'm, you know, I'm not in practices where I'm sure he's getting after people. Like every coach has that, but in a game, there's something to be said for if you're George Amor and you're the point guard, let's say you're down five with four minutes to go and you can look over your coach and he's calm. That, that says a lot. And I think this team, which seems to never panic, feeds off of Kenny Brooks, who seems to never really panic. So I love that about him as well. And then even just talking to him when he tells us stories about Georgia or Liz or Kayla or whomever, this is going to sound a little cheesy, but I'm going to say it. You can tell that Kenny is a girl dad. Like he gets young women. He mm -hmm. understands. And I think that's a really useful trait. He means three daughters and they've all played for him too. So you have that part of it. I think he just gets this generation. Like I really do. And I think he, he knows how to coach women because he's parented women and he, he gets that. So all those factors, I think go into Kenny Brooks being one of the best coaches in the country. And yeah, he may not get as much attention, but again, he doesn't, you know, nothing against yeah. Kim Mulkey, but he's not wearing a peacock blazer. Mm -hmm. He's wearing his quarter zip every That'd day. That'd be a sight. That would be, yeah, a, that would be a sight. Um, but I think he wants to be on his players. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best kind of coach. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do you a little bit of a favor and call the dogs yeah. off a little bit. Oh, oh, yeah. I've made people mad. I didn't um, think Tech fans would get mad at me. That, that hurts well, me. Well, look, here, here's how it works. Like, again, we have such an in incredibly talented league, like top to bottom. This is the best league in basketball. Oh, um, there's no question about it. And when you are so invested in your team and your team is as good as a team like ours, you think that the world revolves around Virginia Tech. Now, it may in a lot of our worlds, but that's not how it works. Um, it's so hard to pick one person, one coach, one player, um, yes. to win an award with that said, um, I just want to point out like this year's team picked first is in first picked first in a situation where 40% of the roster 
goes into the WNBA in the offseason. Right. Uh, and not just to mention, like, is he tasked with call, calling the plays? Yes. Is he tasked with calling and going and getting recruiting and managing the portal and managing your relationships? Yes. A plus, A plus. And then if you want to talk about the biggest A plus, he's also in charge of cultivating and growing the sport and the program in Blacksburg. Five mm -hmm. sellouts this year after zero last year in the regular season. So I just want to ask you, what is the case for Kenny Brooks <laughs> to be coach of the year in the ACC? Okay. So let me start with this. Virginia Tech fans, I love you. I love that you are fighting for your guy. Like, I love that. And if Kenny Brooks wins Coach of the Year, I will say very deserving. Like, obviously. I was just saying that my vote as of now, which is still early, is Felicia Leggett-Jack because of what she's done with Les at Syracuse. Mm -hmm. And they were picked ninth preseason. And they're probably going to finish second because Virginia Tech has the tiebreaker over them. I just think what she's done is tremendous. But – and I was actually texting with a, uh, a different ACC coach about this last night. The coach of the year award is the most subjective award yep. in the voting. You know, there's no metrics. There's no metrics for coach of the year. So it is a very subjective situation. And historically, we have given it to the coach that overachieves. And should we do that or not? I don't know. But that's all I was saying. There. When the argument for Kenny Brooks is really a lot of what you just said, Billy, this is a team that came into the year with such high expectations, but lost two starters from a team that went to the final four. How are you going to replace them? I think he's done a magnificent job integrating Eck and Sumiel into the lineup and Wenzel as well. That's not easy to do, but he's done it. He's also done a really good job of integrating the freshmen at specific times where it's worked out really well. He's brought Strack along. Karis Baker hit what was it, two massive threes against NC State? Mm -hmm. She's had some really good moments. So that's a hard thing to do. And then I would say the biggest thing Kenny Brooks has done is continue to find ways to put Liz Kitley in the most beneficial situations possible, keep her as best he can out of harm's way, keep her healthy, which is huge. Just hearing Kenny talk about his mindset with Liz, like why she he encourages her to shoot the fadeaway, and why he encourages her to catch the ball more mid-post and face up so that she has to be considered a ball handler so that a, a touch foul and then a second touch is a foul. Like, that kind of stuff is really smart. And to keep her healthy is huge. And not a lot of coaches would have used her the way he has. Some other coaches would have said, get on the block, you're 6'6". Six, six, <laughs> and it wouldn't have been as, you know, as good. But – I would also argue that's more, you know, it's it's not my fault that Kenny Brooks didn't win it last year or the year before or the year right. before. Like you could argue he should have won it last year or the year before or whatever. So there is that. I just coach Jack at Syracuse, she her two starting guards were recruited to Buffalo mm -hmm. that she she found like out of a haystack. Mm -hmm. And they should have been at Buffalo. Now they're it's one of the best backcourts in the ACC. Mm -hmm. with the way she's coached them up. And then a lot of these kids, I mean, she inherited four players at Syracuse. Like, it was a disaster. Mm -hmm. So there's no wrong vote, Hokie fans. There's no wrong vote. I, I said at this point, I'm not voting yet. Right. Uh, so I'll say that. But I get it. I think there is – you could argue that the coach of the team who wins the league should be coach of the year every year. Mm -hmm. You could argue that. But then it wouldn't be fun, you know, and we wouldn't be having this debate. Um, looking ahead and before I talk about the game, cause I don't want to, I don't want to end talking about the game on this point. I, I think it's a good time now. Um, the legacy of Liz Kitley, like a few months ago before the season this year, we were discussing if Liz Kitley was cemented or in a position to be on the Mount Rushmore level athlete for Virginia tech. My opinion is yes. Um, and, and just to let you know, I am siloing athlete coach Beamer is on the Mount Rushmore of Virginia tech. Coach Beamer, the cornerback, not on the much Mount Rushmore of athletes at Virginia Tech. Love him. Love him. And he's been so impactful here. But, like, if you look back at the history of basketball in the ACC, like, how is Liz Kitley not on the Mount Rushmore? Um, potentially a three-time ACC player mm -hmm. of the year. Three-time uh, All-ACC. First in rebounds, field goals, win shares, double-doubles, second in points, offensive win shares, two times All-American honor, honors. Like, do you view her as one of – 
as one of the Mount Rushmore players in the ACC? Yeah, I do. I think she's one of the best players in ACC history. I, I think Liz, for whatever reason, I can't explain kind of nationally that she's not getting as much love as she should. I think we'll look back at Liz Kitley's career, the collective we, in maybe five or 10 years from an ACC perspective, and it will be clearer to us. And I don't know, not to us, I see it, but to just the collective. And I don't know why that is, but she, maybe it's just because she's so consistently great. You know, it, yeah, she does have 30 point game. She doesn't have like the 50 point game or whatever, but she has 30 every night, right. every single night. And she has changed how teams play to guard her. Like you have to change. I still, I think some teams have constructed rosters differently to deal with her, to have more size to deal with her mm-hmm. and to try to win the league by doing so. So I think she, she's one of the greatest players in ACC history. When I'm as of now at this point, um, she's my ACC player of the year. So that would be three. If she does win it, only Elena Beard and Alyssa Thomas have done that two of the greatest in the history of women's college basketball, definitely in the ACC. So I have her in that group. I, I don't think there's any way how you can't. She's won the league. If, if they hadn't won the league, maybe, but she's won the ACC tournament, which was a big hump for Virginia Tech to get over. She's made a Final Four. Elena Beard and Alyssa Thomas made Final Fours. They did not win national championships. So there's that part of it. And even more so, maybe even more impressive, and I mean this in the best way, but let's just be realistic. She's doing it at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Like She's not doing it at Notre Dame or Louisville, or NC State, all these schools that have had ACC Players of the Year before. She's the first ever from Virginia Tech, and she might win three of them. Mm-hmm. She's bringing up a program that had never won the league before. Never. I think Girls. some of it has to do – I think some of it also has to do with just <laughs> – and I don't mean this in a bad way – is just the lack of flair. Like, you, yeah. see her, you, no, you, see her, you see her hit a turnaround jumper fadeaway – from 15 feet away and you've already counted it as a make. And that is an incredibly difficult shot to take by yourself in your driveway, much less being double teamed. And I think the thing that's taken her game to the next level this year, uh, or honestly the last two years is her ability. As soon as the double team comes, she's not processing as much when she, when that double team first used to come, the ball would come down and you're getting a tie up. You're not finding she her consistent ability to make the right decision or get into her shot. It's taken completely for granted, but you don't see it with any other player. You can't put on another game and see a player operate as efficiently on the Mm -hmm. offensive side of the uh, forget defense, which she is fantastic at. But her efficiency and intelligence and polish Mm -hmm. of the game is truly, in my mind, what separates her from from everybody. That's a good point because it's not flashy. It's not Caitlin Clark. And, you know, Caitlin Clark is a walking highlight. Even Georgia. Mm -hmm. Georgia is more likely to have a clip that goes viral or whatever Mm -hmm. than Liz, even though the last second shot against NC State, that was pretty viral. But I do think you're right. I think it's not as flashy. It's just so consistently just elite. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, as Coach Brooks has said, We take that for granted. I also think it's harder, in my opinion, unless you are, the example would be a grinder uh, because you're just so physically dominant. But it's harder as a post player to be that dominant because you don't have the ball. Like I always say in the NCAA tournament, and maybe um, Virginia Tech's an exception, I want my best player to be a guard because last second situations, I know I can get them the ball. It's harder as at the post position. And like you said, the second you catch it, you can double. Well, with Caitlin Clark, you can't double her the second she catches it. She's bringing the ball up the floor. So it's a whole different challenge. And Liz Kitley is so smart that she's handled that so well. And to have the poise that she's had to be doubled every single night. There's not another player in the ACC that is doubled every single night, every single day. Like that's that's brutal to deal with. And it's hard to deal with. And she's made it look so easy. And maybe that's just maybe that's uh, Liz's biggest problem is she's made it all look too easy. You got to so get her in some. Got to get her in some acting classes. She should have taken some. Yeah, yeah. Classes. Make it look harder. Make it look harder, Liz, because it is really hard what she's doing. Before we get into um, the fan submitted questions, I want to ask you: like, it's going to be a <clears throat> spectacle on Sunday, yeah. um, and awesome. there are two as there are two aspects of it. 
And I want to start with this, like unfairly, understandably, I want to lean on unfairly. Kayla King's career at any other university is viewed upon completely differently um, with the way that she defends, how many games she's played, her um, just overall impact on the team, (laughs) how many threes she has made. She got her a thousandth point this past game. Like, can you just brag on Kayla King? Cause I don't feel like she gets an opportunity to get that very often. Uh, you talked about Olivia Samuel earlier, but she has been so consistent and has handled an opportunity where you have these two players who from a national standpoint are just spectacles. And in this age of NIL and in this age of transfer portal, mm-hmm. you could see a player like that. Who's extremely talented and important to the success of this team. Get frustrated and be like, I kind of want my own situation. And she hasn't done that. It's a great point. Yeah. It, it, Kayla King is almost like a, a player that we don't really see much anymore, but is part of why I think people had come to love college basketball. It's that player that has devoted their entire career to your school, to your program. I think Kayla King, it's fair to say she would, you know, she would do anything for Virginia Tech and for Coach Brooks. And she has. She's guarded the best player. She put her body on the line. She's played so hard. She's so um, just like poised and calm. And she's just a presence that you want on the floor. And I think those are the types of players that make college basketball what it is. The Kayla Kings, who give you 10 a game, who can shoot the three, who can guard, who are going to show up every single night. And they don't expect much, right? They're just there because they love it. And that's who they are. And I really respect players like that. I, I really do. And of course, she's been such a massive part of this team and and building this foundation. And yeah, she could have gotten jealous or been like, hey, I'm going to go somewhere else. They're going to pay me. I'm going to get 20 shots a game here. But that's just not who she is. And I think that's really cool. And I, I really love those types of players in college basketball. And then the game. We're not suiting Ooh. up to play Pope John what the Sixth. What do you mean? We're not we're not suiting up to play Pope John the Sixth. We're not suiting up to play, you know, Mary's House of the Poor down the street. You're playing a North Carolina team who <laughs> tech fans, we've beaten them what five times in a row, four times in a row. Every single game has been extremely competitive. Every single one. Extremely competitive. Um, what are you expecting from this game? And also, how does tech not get caught up in the moment? They've had the sellout before, they've had these moments before, but you have Liz, you got Georgia, you got Kayla, you got Olivia, who have storied, storied careers. Could be the last time that you see them in Castle Coliseum. It's definitely the last time you're going to see some of them. Um, yeah. How do you approach that and focus on the moment and ultimately play what is an extremely important game in the ACC race? It's really hard. Senior day in itself is hard. And then you have so much going on for Liz and Kayla. And what's interesting, I think there is a little bit of an advantage here because this is Liz's second senior night. So that does help. Like you've done it before. I mean, I know it's it's going to hit different because this really is her last game, but at least she has that experience to draw. I think that's good. And then for Georgia, we don't know, of course, but the, I think her family is going to be in town. Right. So that's mm-hmm. exciting. And I'm sure that will add some emotion, but this team, I think once you've been to a final four and you've done it on that stage, I don't know if much else can phase you. Like I, I get that it's going to be emotional and there is that part of it, but it seems that this team is really good at compartmentalizing and, and blocking stuff out. And like I said, when you've dealt with the pressure of, of making a final four run and of, of winning an ACC, maybe it, it's not as difficult. I, I'm not, you know, I never made a final four run, so I don't know, but I, I would hope that that's the case. And also they know like it's North Carolina. This team, North Carolina wants nothing more than to be Virginia Tech. They have come so close. Like these two have given us instant classics every time they play. I'm even thinking back to, uh, what was it, three years ago in the ACC tournament when North Carolina hit a dagger and then Georgia hit a layup and I think it went to overtime. It was just these two always deliver. So they're going to have to flip the switch real Mm -hmm. quick and get ready for a UNC team. UNC needs this for their – they're in the tournament but they need it for their resume, for seeding. They need this game. Uh, you could argue UNC is going to be more desperate than Virginia Tech, and that they've got to be ready for the Tar Heels coming in. Mm-hmm.
Hey guys, this is Ali Jennings III, wide receiver for your Virginia Tech Hokies. When I committed to Virginia Tech football, I committed to the best. That's why I chose Harvey's GM in Radford. Why settle for less when you can have the best? Go to Harvey's GM for all of your vehicle needs. Tell them Ali sent you. That's Harvey's GM, Tyler Ave in Radford, or go to their website at harveysgm.com for more info. Last section here, letters from the lunch pail. First one, uh, Georgia Amor wants to ask, was George or Georgia ever considered a name for the baby? <laughs> wow. Uh, great question from Georgia Amor. You know, it, we knew he was a boy. So I would say, Georgia, if, if that baby was a girl and I'm following your run and I'm seeing what you're doing, it may have changed things for me. But we knew it was a boy. And I didn't think George was really going to be honoring Georgia enough. So I, we didn't go with it. But if Jacob had been a girl, things might have been different. Uh, Craig Fain, do you think there could be voter fatigue regarding Liz Kitley's ACC Player of the Year candidacy and not wanting to give it to her three years in a row? Mm, I don't think so. I really don't, just because she's been that good. Like, what would be someone's motive to – I don't know. I, I don't think the media – thinks that maybe if it was and the coaches don't vote on that anymore. I don't believe so. I think we've convinced it all the one, but um, no, I, I really don't think it's going to be an issue. Bruce Arians fan account. Can you talk about the similarities in Georgia Amor and Caitlin Clark's game? Mm. I feel that Amor would get more recognition if it wasn't for Clark's tremendous talent and season. Keep up the great work, Kelly. I have felt the comparison. And I thought it really came to light in the tournament last year. At one point, Georgia had made more threes in the tournament than Caitlin Clark. And they finished very, they both broke the record of threes made in the NCAA tournament. Clark just ended up with more. Obviously she played one more game, but she's also Caitlin Clark. I think the range is a big similarity between them. I would say Georgia is, is bouncier. Like her step back, Georgia's probably a little more athletic, but Caitlin Clark's six feet tall. People forget that Clark is legitimately six feet tall. Mm -hmm. um, Clark is number one in the nation in assists. Georgia's number two. So there's a massive similarity there. They pass the ball really well. And I think there's a swag. Like we, Caitlin Clark has started doing this more and more of talking to the crowd. And Georgia, I feel like since last March, has come into her own of talking to the crowd, talking some trash. So I very much see the parallel. And if Georgia were to come back, which again, I have no idea, but if Caitlin Clark were to move on, then perhaps Georgia could really move more into the spotlight because Caitlin Clark is Caitlin Clark. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think she's the greatest, I'm willing to say greatest offensive player in women's college. Oh, so you are willing to say that she's great. Wow. We've heard, we've heard oh, some, we've heard some, some thrown around saying that she wasn't great. She's okay. incredible. You know, she's on the, the record. Only, she's the only player in women's college basketball history just score 3,000 points and have 1,000 assists. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So, yes, of course she's great. I think also, I think also, and this is this is no discredit to Iowa's basketball team at all, I think the fact that Caitlin Clark, and this is a credit to her, she doesn't really have the luxury of not being on. Like yeah. She doesn't have the luxury of not having yeah. to produce 38 points a game to win basketball games, whereas Virginia Tech, and you saw it against Duke, you've seen it in, against Boston College, like, Virginia Tech can win games in a multitude of ways. Yes. Um, whether that's Karis Baker getting hot from three, whether it's Matilda Eck, whether it's Liz Kitley. Like, there are so many different ways that Virginia Tech can expose a basketball team, whereas Iowa is completely, not completely, but essentially reliant on Caitlin Clark mm -hmm. to show up and play the same type of basketball game every single night. So, yeah. you know, when you have folks, as Josh Pate would say, the casuals, who will say, <laughs> well, go ahead and look at these numbers. She's scoring, like, 15 more points a game, and she has this many more assists. It's like – the style of basketball is completely, completely different. And, and no disrespect, but Iowa does play in the Big Ten. And Virginia oh. Tech does play in the ACC. And there yeah. is a little bit of a, a tangible difference between these two conferences. The Big Ten was really good last year. It's taken a big step back mm -hmm. uh, this year. They lost a ton of talent from different teams. And the ACC, we're, we're looking at a situation, Billy, because Georgia Tech is now in the first four out. We're looking at a 10 bids, possibly. That's never happened before. <laughs> That's never happened before. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 10 bids would be absolutely absurd. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah, just playing in the ACC every night. Almost twenty, almost twenty percent of the field from one conference is yeah, that's insane. Crazy. Um, Pete McGee, our haiku friend, uh, he says this Hokie squad is fantastic, but what is their weakness? This is funny. I think I don't know if he asked it, but mm. somebody asked for a scout on Georgia Amor's game. She wasn't going to give it, but you may. Um, what teams might they face in the tournament that could cause the most trouble? What are the biggest areas for improvement? Great question. So. For Virginia Tech, the way I see them is if they shoot it well from three, they can beat anybody. If they don't shoot it well from three, they can be beaten. I'm not saying they could lose to anybody, but they can definitely be beaten. And part of what Kenny Brooks has built is you have one of the greatest players in ACC history in the middle, and you surround her with shooters. Well, when the shooters aren't shooting, (laughs) that can be a problem. So I think that's just in general my biggest concern with Virginia Tech. If they run up against a good team in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight and they just go like, you know, four for 25 from three, then obviously that's going to be a problem. They're pretty reliant on the three, but they shoot it really well. So it's it's worked for them throughout Kenny Brooks's history, and there's no reason to say it won't work again. Um, the weak, So that's kind of a weakness, I would say. One weakness in general would probably be it's a lack of depth, but also that can kind of lead to defensively. You can feel a little handcuffed because you have he Kenny Brooks wants to play about what seven players, uh, bring Wenzel Strack off the bench, maybe Karis Baker. So when you do that, and he did that all throughout the run last year, foul trouble can present a real problem. Kayla King getting in foul trouble against Duke, for example. Liz Kitley, which she's been so good at not getting in foul trouble. Georgia Amor, like, Wenzel's your backup point guard, but it so much is taken away without Amor. So foul trouble is a concern. And then does that limit how aggressive you can be defensively? And we've seen Virginia Tech play some zone. I like the zone look because they're long. I like the zone look when Strack's in the game. Really like that. But no one's going to say, and Liz and Georgia, and, um, Georgia have said this, no one's going to say that, Liz and Georgia are going to win like a defensive contest or a one-on-one defensive battle, whatever, but it's how they play collectively and it's how smart they are. So depth and foul trouble that can throw a game off for Virginia tech, not shooting the three. Well can be an issue for Virginia tech. I I would say those are really the, the main weaknesses that I see. The one thing that I think we talked about how the double big lineup elevates the ceiling of this team. And you mentioned this before. What I love too is a young player like Karis Baker mm-hmm. has zero hesitation. Like she has yeah. the greenest light from her team. And she's shooting like 45% from three. And she's willing to, she's nice. willing to let it fly. Um, and that's what I absolutely love. And I, you know, I, I hope that Kayla King just keeps shooting because at some yeah. point they're going to, they're going to fall. But over the course of her career, it's been Kenny Brooks saying, I need you to shoot. I need you to shoot. I need you to shoot. And it seems like every single guard that we have on the roster right now is not afraid of the opportunity to shoot and is given the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's helped this team a lot too. Um, Question from John Cran. Kelly, my family and I are huge fans. Thanks for all you do for the ACC and your coverage of the Hokies. What has the transition been like from a Clemson student athlete to a sports commentator, wife, and mother? Oh, yeah. Those are all my hats. Um, <laughs> those are all my hats. Well, just in in short, um, from 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 playing to the career I'm in now, I have gotten really lucky. Just being honest, um, blessed is the way I like to look at it. I've had so many people at Clemson that helped me. Beyond obviously, when you play, you have that knowledge that you need to be a broadcaster. Like you can't really get that anywhere else in terms of being a color analyst except for playing so that's huge but then so many people that gave me opportunities at clemson to do radio um i did local radio in clemson for six years sports talk so that was an incredible learning ground and so many people helped me through that and then the acc network was launching in 2019 i mean that's perfect timing for me and um ended up i basically sent my reel like dm'd it to one of the acc network execs and that's effectively how I got hired. So it's, again, crazy story. I'm so lucky and I, I love what I do. And so many people help me along the way. In terms of like the other side of me, right? My family life, um, nobody has it all figured out. The whole work-life balance 
you're just trying to make it work every day, especially during basketball season. But I have an incredible husband who is so supportive and takes a lot of dad duty um, when I'm traveling. And then both our sets of parents are showing up all the time. Like my parents were here last weekend. His parents are coming this week. So just helping with that and a good community around us to help. But yeah, I mean, it's basketball season has been, it's coach McGraw would tell me this when we would talk about when I was pregnant, she's like, look, it's going to be hard to leave that baby. And I was like, okay, coach, I know I get it, but um, I really get it now. And so it is, but I now travel, like I fly out at 6am and then I fly back at 6am, that kind of thing. But you just make it work. And as long as you have a good support system, then uh, you can do it. Bill, you're muted. You know, that's my second time in a row doing this. I saw you doing that on the Georgia one. Unbelievable. Uh, not a question. This comes from LP, but just want to say thank you. And this comes from all of us. Thank you for your awesome coverage and commentary. Love your work and appreciate everything you bring into the overall conversation around ACC basketball. Well, that's really nice. Again, I'm just so happy to be able to cover ACC basketball for my job is ridiculous. And the product in this league is so dang good. So it's really fun for me to get to call all these games. And Virginia Tech, like like I said, Hokie fans have come behind this program so well. And I'll, I'll give you guys props all day because I've been in Castle. There's 9,000 people in there, and it's incredible. You guys do a great job. Last two. I have two more yeah. questions for you. Number one, I've never really asked anyone to do this, but from <laughs> this senior day, like, you know what these players mean to Virginia Tech. On the scale of growing the game, which we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, what have people like Liz Kitley, Georgia Amore, Kayla King, Olivia Sumiel, like, what have they meant to the game? Like, did, like it's probably hard for them to comprehend because they're so concerned with winning the next basketball game, being the best team that they can. But as you view these student athletes as people who have been ambassadors of the game, not just on a regional level, but a national level, what has what have they meant to this game? They've meant a lot. And what I think, you know, they've meant a lot to women's basketball in that they've been a part of this renaissance, if you will, that women's basketball, I think, is going through in that tournament last year. Amor and Liz and all of Virginia Tech was a huge part of the excitement with that NCAA tournament. And the millions of people that watched them play were impacted by them. But even more so... Like I, I've seen a place like Virginia Tech, who is known for its football, um, known for rallying around that sport, start to really rally around women's sports. And it started with basketball, women's basketball. And I think they've changed the fabric of the fan base in some ways. You know, that when you're this good, you and you claim to be a Virginia Tech fan, like you have to support this team. You have no choice. They're not good. They're in the final four. And then you go, you watch, you become a fan. They, they've changed the fabric of Virginia Tech's fan base, I think. And then it, we're recording this, and you have like a picture of Castle here um, in the background. There are countless little girls in those crowds that I see every time I'm there. I ask them who's their favorite player. The little ones always go, Georgia, probably because they're so little. And there are probably a handful of little girls who come to these games who are going to, in 10 to 15 years, be playing for Virginia Tech or be playing somewhere else who you wouldn't, you can't quantify the impact that these players have had on those kids um, and even watching them on TV as well. So I think that is probably going to be the thing that lasts the longest. And I think that's what's really special too about women's basketball. The t now I know you can, kids go to men's games, don't, you know, don't get me wrong, but how accessible Liz and Georgia are and the rest of Virginia Tech. It's a very family-friendly atmosphere. Like I, th I've, I see so many little kids when I'm at those games. And I think that that part's just really cool. And that's going to be a legacy that's just going to continue on. It's been really cool to see, um, looking at looking at their uh, at their podcast, just the numbers of people that listen to it. Mm -hmm. The Sons of Saturday, it's a bunch of dudes who have mustaches sure, and sure. You know, are older guys. But their listenership, there is such a high percentage of females that's under the awesome. age of 20 years old who are listening to them across the country. It's not regional listeners from New Zealand, listeners from Germany, listeners from the West coast, the middle of the country. It's been, um, 
It's been really awesome. So Ken cannot wait for Sunday. And then lastly, you mentioned football. I got a little itch. Are you high on the Hokies this season? I mean, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting times. Oh, I am. Yes, I, I'm very high on Virginia Tech. I was impressed. I was so impressed with last year because, or whatever we want to call it, the year that just happened. Mm-hmm. When you think of the start that they had, and obviously Kyron Drones just changed everything mm-hmm. for Virginia Tech. But we've seen the fans show up in Lane Stadium for some bad teams over the past couple of years. And these fans, that's what Mac and I always say on our podcast, these fans deserve it. Like they deserve a good team. And to see uh, what the defense was doing towards the end of the year, I know APR is coming back. We had him on our podcast. And Brent Pry with kind of that, I think he fits Virginia Tech really well. Defensive-minded, the lunch pail, you know, all that. It really fits. And then when you have a dynamic quarterback, it's an absolute game changer. We know that in college football. So Kyron Jones also came on. He was awesome. And I think the sky's the limit. You have Ali Jennings is going to be healthy, I hear. Um, so that's huge. I would hope. It's been a while. I would hope. Yeah, I would hope so. (laughs) Look, I'm excited because it's so good for the ACC when Virginia Tech is good. Like Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, you know, who knows about Miami. But those are the schools that you need to be good in this league. And Virginia Tech, it seems like they're on their way back. And that's great. Billy, do Virginia Tech and Clemson play this year? Is that right? They do. I was going to say, free invite to Section 5. Georgia Amor has made the trip. If you have press credentials, understandably so. But we got to get you down there. Be a great I don't time. love sitting in the press. So we have um, – my husband and I have Clemson season tickets. So mm-hmm. we sit in the stands. We're, okay. we're of the people. Okay. Well, we're going to have two tickets because, you know, I don't think you need a ticket for infants. But – you know, get you get you down in Lane Stadium for the Clemson game. I think that's going to be a ton of fun. Kelly, an hour on your Tuesday. I really, really appreciate the time. Please check her out, the Gramlich and Mac Lane podcast. We'll go ahead and link the APR interview in there. Um, and then ACC Network, ASPN. And we'll see you in Blacksburg on Sunday. Can't wait. I'll see you for college game day. That's How right. That? That's right. That's right. Looking forward to it, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks. Time to wander, tripping in the sand We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand But I saw you dance like you want to in 